And so um, we've been um, talking through the book of John. We started in chapter 13, and we're moving towards the resurrection next Sunday. And, um, and if you remember in, in John chapter 15, he said this, Greater love has no one than this, than someone lay down his life for his friends. And, and so we're to, this morning going to talk about this fact that there's no greater love than what Jesus did for us. Last week we looked at the prayer that, that Jesus prayed. And if you remember, if you were here, he talked about his, his primary prayer was that we be one big family. That we be united together. We be united with him. The Father be in us. The Son be in us. The Holy Spirit be in us. We're in him. That we're all one. And this morning we're going to look at three more prayers. They're conversations that Jesus had with his Father through the garden and the crucifixion that every one of them display to us very clearly how much Jesus loves us, how much the Father loves us. If you have any doubt that God loves you, I, I want you to hear the, the words of Jesus. I want you to hear his heart this morning through these prayers. Because I, I'm, as you hear his heart, as you hear what's going on, there's no doubt in my mind that Jesus loves you. Jesus loves me, right? And so the first prayer is in the Garden of Gethsemane. And we're going to read uh, chapter, Mark chapter 14, verses 32 through 36. It says, They went to the olive grove called Gethsemane, and Jesus said, Sit here while I go and pray. And he took Peter, James, and John with him, and he became deeply troubled and distressed. I want you to notice that he became Deeply troubled and distressed. He told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. And he went on a little further and fell to the ground. And he prayed that if it were possible, the awful hour awaiting him might pass him by. Abba, Father, he cried out. Everything is possible for you. Please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. And so can you hear in Jesus' heart here? And can you see that what's happening is he comes to the garden and it says he became very distressed. He became grieved as unto death. He became Grieved, And so he began to feel the weight of what he was about to go through. He began to, it says he became there. He began to feel that. He began to see it. And he began to understand that he was crushed with grief. And this word that, that's used for crushed with grief means deeply troubled and distressed. means astonished or overcome with horror. So in this moment, he became overcome with with horror. Now, I, I don't really know how, to, how we can ever really understand what he was looking at, but just for a moment, imagine you're driving down the road and you see up ahead that there's been a terrible wreck. There's ambulances there, there's all kinds of stuff going on. You know it's a terrible wreck. And then as you get close to it, you recognize the car. And it's somebody you love. You'd feel sick. You'd feel fear. You'd feel horror. 
because you don't know what's going on. And all of a sudden you realize that someone you know and love is in that terrible wreck and it looks bad. That's sort of what Jesus was feeling. Sort of as he began to see what he was getting ready to go through as he began to understand. And, and it's interesting because up until this point, Jesus had been unflappable. Nothing rattled him. Nothing shook him. All the things he went through, he just handled with grace. He handled with strength. He handled with confidence. He knew who he was. And so nothing ever bothered him until this moment. And then all of a sudden in this moment, we see him stagger just a little bit. And he begins to say, Father, I know everything's possible for you. If there's, an, if there's another way, if there's another way, God, if you could take this cup from me, so what was it that he was seeing? And I, I don't believe it was the, even the crucifixion. As, as horrible as all, everything he went through, the beatings, the shame, the crucifixion, I, I don't believe it's, that's what, because Jesus had been telling them all along. If you read through the Gospels, there were different times he would tell them. We're going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to be betrayed. They're going to kill me. I'm going to be raised three days later. He sort of knew all that. I, Jesus had seen crucifixions before. He'd been in Jerusalem many times. We know the Romans crucified thousands of people. So he had seen it. He knew what that looked like. And he had known for some time that that was, what he was, that was his future, that he was going to go through that. But I think in that moment, he saw something different. In that moment, he saw something he had never seen before. And what he saw was the cup of suffering. He saw the cup of suffering. And what was the cup represent? It's suffering, yes, but it's the wrath of God. Let me read you a couple scriptures out of the Old Testament. In Isaiah 51, 17, it says, you have drunk from the hand of the Lord the cup of his fury. In Ezekiel, this is what the sovereign Lord says, you will drink from your sister's cup of terror, a cup that is large and deep and is filled with, to the brim with scorn and derision. Drunkenness and anguish will fill you and your cup is filled to the brim with distress and desolation, the same cup your sister Samaria drank. So for the very first time, I believe that Jesus really was privy to, really began to see and feel the weight of what he was getting ready to go through. And it wasn't the physical part. It was the fact that he, for the very first time in all of eternity, in all of eternity, he was there before the earth was ever formed. He was there before anything that we have ever experienced was formed. He was there. And so for all that time, he had perfect relationship with the Father. And we know the Trinity, how they love each other. And the Father loved him. And he loved the Father. And the Holy Spirit, they were all glorifying each other. And they were just in this perfect unity and perfect love. And in this moment, he begins to see that he's going to have to go through a time when the father would turn his back on him and he would have to suffer the fury of his father never before had he ever suffered the fury of his father never before had he looked into the darkness never before had he gone to the father and began to see that there's a possibility that the father wouldn't give him exactly what he was feeling because he says father is there another way is there another way and so it was the cup of terror. It was the cup of suffering. It was the cup of scorn and derision and distress and desolation that Jesus was beginning to see. And he was beginning to understand that. And he was going to, for the very first time, for the very first time, 
he understood that there, I'm going to be separated from my father. I'm going to be separated from him. And most of us, most of us, by just our nature, if we know that there's something that's going to cause us suffering, we will run from it. Right? I mean, if we know that there's something that's going to cause us pain and suffering, we're going to avoid that. And Jesus, in this moment, said, but Father, not my will be done, but yours. And I'm going to choose to walk right into this cup. I'm going to choose to drink it in. I'm going to choose to take it. Why did he do that? For himself? He did it for you. He did it for me. He loved us enough that seeing the full weight of that. So he, he decided it would, that whatever it cost him, he would do it. Whatever it cost him, he would walk through it. Because he loved us. Because he loved you. Jonathan Edwards said this. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus had then a near view of that furnace of wrath into which he was to be cast. He was brought to the mouth of the furnace that he might look into it and stand and view its raging flames and see the glowings of its heat and that he might know where he was going and what he was about to suffer. But Jesus still chose to do it. He still chose to do it. And I believe this reveals to us that in this moment, Jesus had a choice. Jesus had a choice. But because he loved you, looking into that furnace, looking into the fury, looking into hell, looking into hell and knowing he was going to go in through hell, he decided he chose to go through hell for us. Man, if that doesn't prove how much he loves us. When he had a when he could have walked away, when he could have said, no, God, I, Father, I, just want to, I don't want to do it, but he chose to do it. He chose to do it for us. And so God, he chose to love us, and he loved us enough to endure the suffering, and he loved us enough to endure the suffering, not just to do it, but he endured the suffering for our sin. In that moment, when he was in the garden, he decided, I'm going to go ahead and walk through this, not because I deserve it. You all deserve it, but I'm going to take it for you. No greater love than this. And so we'll lay down his life for his friends, right? That he gave his life for us. And so from this moment, Jesus gets up and he's looked at the cup and he said, this is, I'm going to drink, I'm going to tr drink in the cup of the suffering. I'm going to drink in the cup of the terror and the horror and all those things that come with it. And so we know from there that Jesus was then soon after that was betrayed. Jesus came in the garden and was betrayed. Anybody ever here been betrayed before? Jesus was betrayed. Chose to be betrayed. He saw it coming in the garden, but he said, I'll do it. He knew it was going to happen. He said it and knew it was going to happen, but he chose to be betrayed and he loved through it. And then he was arrested. Anybody ever been arrested here before? You don't have to raise your hand. Anybody ever here should have been, could have been arrested? Don't raise your hand. And Jesus was, even though he was innocent, for you and for me. Why? Because he loved us. And then we know that he was taken 
to the son-in-law of the high priest, and they question him, and he sends him on to Caiaphas' house, the high priest, and there they, they beat him, and, and it says, then Pilate, and then he was sent to Pilate, and then in John 19, it says, then Pilate had Jesus flogged with a lead-tipped whip, and the soldiers wove a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and they put a purple robe on him. Hell, king of the Jews, they mocked him as they slapped him across the face. Have you ever been mocked? Jesus was for you because he loved you. And then Pilate sent him to Herod, and Herod sent him back to Pilate. And Pilate tried every way in the world to, to let him go. <laughs> and he tried to find a way to let him go. And the people just kept saying, no, we want this guy crucified. And he even said, how about Barabbas? You can take Barabbas instead of Jesus. And they still said, no, we want Jesus crucified. You ever been through a situation where someone else was chosen over you or you got the bad end of the deal? Jesus did because he loved you. And then they made him carry his own cross. We know that Simon, the siren, was, just happened to be in town and was there. And they made him carry his cross. And they went up and they nailed his hands and his feet to the cross. And they hung him on that cross. And while he was there, they continued to mock him. And people would walk by and say, why don't you come down off that cross and save yourself? If you're really the son of God, why don't you save yourself? They made fun of him. They spat at him. They jeered at him. Why did he, why did he go through that? Because he loved you. Because he loved me. Ever suffered shame or pain? Jesus did too. See, in this, in this story, we see Jesus basically suffering everything that we have ever suffered. All the things that we fear. None of us want to go through pain and suffering. Jesus did it for us. None of us want to be mocked and shamed. Jesus did it for us. N none of us want to be tortured. None of us want to go through those difficult things. Jesus chose to do that, even though we're the ones who deserved it because he loved us. And so when we're going through these hard things and when sometimes we're you know, I, I don't like being mocked. I don't like being shamed. I, I don't like being betrayed. I don't like all those things. We need to remember that Jesus went through every one of those things for us. He went through them too. And that's why in Hebrews it says that we have a high priest who knows what it's like to go through everything we've gone through, who's been tempted just like we have, who's suffered like we have, and even more so than we have. But he continued to do that because he loved us. So the second prayer we find in Mark chapter 15, and it says in verses 33 and 34, And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lima sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And so in this moment, the thing that Jesus had seen in Gethsemane was happening. He was separated from his father. Now, the more you love someone, the more it hurts to be separated from them. So you can think of people who, were, who would come up to you and, you're, you know, and say, I don't ever want to speak to you again. I'm, I don't ever want to have anything to do with you. And you'd go, okay, fine. There may be people that would come up to you in your life and say, I don't want to ever speak to you. I never want to talk to you again. And it would hurt. But if Bobby came up to me and said, I don't want to ever talk to you again. I don't want to be, have anything to do with you. That would hurt. 
Because the more you love somebody, the more it hurts. And Jesus and the Father loved each other more than we can ever even understand. And in that moment on the cross was the first time he had ever begun to not have perfect union with his Father and not know his love. For the first time when Jesus cried out to his Father, he wasn't there. When he said, when he prayed to him, he wasn't there. Every time else in all of eternity, he, when he turned to his father, his father was there, locking eyes. That's why Jesus could say, I don't do anything, I don't see the father doing or hearing. Because at all those times when he went to his father in prayer, his father was right there just waiting. But this moment, he wasn't there. And so Jesus cries out, Father, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he's showing us here that he was experiencing judgment in hell, the judgment in hell that we deserved. In that moment, he was experiencing complete separation from the Father. Again, never experienced that before. And so the cross proves to us that God loves you. And the cross proves to us that God understands what it is to suffer. Sometimes we get this idea that we're going through these hard things and God's aloof to it and God doesn't understand because he's God. This proves to us that Jesus suffered everything that we could ever suffer. And he understands and he's with us. The cross proves to us that God can still be working on your behalf, just like we sang this morning. <clears throat> Even when our question is why? Ever had something happen to you in your life and the first thing that comes to your mind is, God, why? Jesus experienced the same thing. Why have you forsaken me? And we know that in those moments when Jesus was even, even Jesus was saying, my God, why have you forsaken me? God was doing something to benefit him. And to benefit all of us. And in those moments in our life when we have no idea why we're going through what we're going through. And our question is the same question. Why? Why? Why did this happen? Why won't this happen? Why am I going through this? Why can't I do this? Why are these things happening? In those very moments we can trust that God is still doing something that's going to work for our good. And so the cross proves that, and that prayer proves it, because we know in that moment, Jesus was saying, why have you forsaken me? But we know what comes three days later. We're going to talk about that next week, right? <laughs> and then the third prayer on the cross, in John chapter 19, standing near the cross where Jesus' mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene, and when Jesus saw his mother standing there beside the disciple he loved, he said to her, Dear woman, here's your son. And he said to his, this disciple, Here's your mother. And from then on, this disciple, who is John, took her into his home. Jesus knew that his mission was now finished, and to fulfill the scripture, he said, I am thirsty. A jar of sour wine was sitting there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put it on a hyssop branch, and held it up to his lips. When Jesus had tasted it, he said, it is finished. And then he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. And so in this moment, when Jesus says it is finished, he's talking to us. He's talking to his father. I think he's really talking to his father saying like, I did it. 
I did it. I saw it in the garden. I've done it. Even when you I felt forsaken, I stayed with it. You know, Jesus said at any point in time, I could call down the angels and they'd get me down off this cross and they would kick your all's hind end and this thing would be over. But he said, I stayed, I did it, I f it's finished. What's finished? What was he talking about? Is this the fact that he, he made it through the crucifixion? Just the fact that he made it through all the beatings and he said, it's finished, I made it, I'm, I'm now going to get out of here? No, what he was saying is, it is finished. The thing that had kept us separated from God is finished. The fact that the devil had authority on the earth, it's finished. The fact that you cannot come into the Holy of Holies, it's finished. The Old Testament is finished. The veil was torn. You can walk right into my presence now. You don't have to wait and hope somebody else gets your prayer through for you. You can come right on in. You can be part of it. And you know, the very first person, the very first person after his crucifixion that declared that he was God was a Roman soldier. He said, surely this man was the son of God. What does that tell us? That at that point when the veil was torn, that even the Romans, the pagans, the people who didn't believe in him, those who people who were not Jewish, those people who were on the total outside, even the people who had been enemies of Jesus up until that point in time were able then to come on into the Holy of Holies. And so he says in this moment, it is finished. It is finished. So all those things... So the, the curse of the law was broken. Death, hell, and the grave was broken. Sickness was defeated. The fact that we have to worry about can we have a relationship with Jesus, that's defeated. We can have relationship with our Father. The authority was given back to Jesus. Up until this point in time, Adam and Eve have given, had given up authority to the devil, and Jesus took them back. He said, no, I'm taking the keys, man. I'm in charge now. I'm in charge. And then he tells us, we know he's taught us that we now have authority because he has the authority, right? And so we can walk in that authority. The new covenant of grace was established. And why did he do all this? Why did he do all of it? To prove something? To exalt himself? He didn't need to be exalted. He was already in heaven. He didn't need to come down here and prove something to get exalted. He was already in heaven with his father. He was already there. The Bible says in the very beginning, he was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. He was there. It says in the very beginning, when the earth was created, Jesus was there. It was through him that everything was created. He didn't need to prove anything to anybody. He didn't have to prove to the devil he could beat him. He'd already kicked him out of heaven. He didn't need to prove anything. But what he, the reason that he went through every bit of this is because he loves you. Because he loves you. And so reject the lie that you're not lovable. Reject the lie that you're not loved. Reject the lie that Jesus doesn't want you. Listen, he did all that for people he knew, he, he knew would reject him. He did all that for people he knew would sin. He knew, did all this for people he knew would not have Great, a great life and perfect life. He, he did all this for all of us who would have sin in our lives and who would make mistakes. But he said, yes, I still love you. I'm going to do it. So never believe the lie. Never believe the lie that you're not lovable. Never believe the lie. See, Jesus went through the, this moment of the father turning his back on him. So we don't have to. Once we come into relationship with Jesus, we don't have to worry about him turning his back on us. 
We're the ones that have that power. We're the ones who have that choice. Just like Jesus had the choice in the garden, we can decide that we're not going to have anything. But Jesus, nothing will separate us from the love of Christ. Nothing will separate us from the love of Christ. And we never have to worry about a day that God's going to turn his back on us. So as we get ready to walk into the Holy Week, Easter week, let's just be mindful of what all Jesus went through for us and why he did it. You know, sometimes I just, we, we go through these stories and if you've been in the church a long time and a Christian for a long time, you just begin to look at these stories and they just become very common. And, but if we, just, if we could just reflect this week on really what Jesus did for us, why he did it, how he did it, and just let the love of God just flow over us. Amen.